Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Mackenzie campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. Well, good morning, those of you who've managed to navigate your way. Thank you uh, here to church this morning, and welcome to all of you joining us online this morning. Uh, My name's Eleanor. I'm the missions pastor here at Gateway, and it is such a privilege to continue on uh, today with our King King Jesus, not King Jerry, that's a bit too familiar, King Jesus series. Uh, We recognize today isn't just Tour de Brisbane, it's a significant day because today is Palm Sunday, as Tim reminded us earlier. This was a day that we're told in the Gospels that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. And if ever there was a day that people saw Jesus as king, it was this day all those years ago where the crowds of people were told in the gospel, waved palm branches and shouted, Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel. You see, they knew a king was coming and they believed that Jesus was that king and he was coming to establish his kingdom. Now, over the years that I lived and worked in Asia for many, many years, based in India, I had an opportunity in 2013 with two other missionaries to head up to the northeast of India to a nation that is actually a kingdom. So just like the kingdom that people believe Jesus was bringing into Jerusalem, we know that in the world today there are many nations that are still considered kingdoms with ruling monarchies over them. And Bhutan is called the royal kingdom of Bhutan. Now, I didn't know much about Bhutan. It has about 800,000 people, so it's not that populated compared to the rest of that part of Asia. But 85% of Bhutanese are Buddhists, and it's less than half a percent that are evangelical Christians. There are no known churches in Bhutan because it's actually illegal to worship in a church in a public forum. And so there's all underground churches. And so together with these other missionaries, we were going into Bhutan to to pray and and see if there was an opportunity to, to start a ministry underground amongst the Bhutanese people. Now, while it's open to tourism, Bhutan is not really open the floodgates and let the tourists come in, very similar to Tibet. And one of the ways that they monitor uh, the number of tourists coming into Bhutan is they charge exorbitant fees, around 350 Australian dollars per day to get a visa to enter into the nation. And from the moment you walk into Bhutan, you're met at the border, once you've crossed through the border, you're met by a government minder, a person who is attached to you and who escorts you to every single place you go in Bhutan. And you're also assigned a government driver. And their role, like I said, is to stay with you 24-7 for the amount of time you're in Bhutan. 
And so as part of taking us to the designated tourist places, because you can't just wander around in Bhutan and do your own thing, you have to be escorted to all these places. Uh, this one particular day, we were told we were heading to the royal palace in Timpu, the capital of Bhutan. And uh, the few days that we were in Bhutan, we spent a lot of time in the car with the driver and the government minder. And I was teasing him that, okay, we're heading to the palace today. Well, today's the day I'm going to meet the king of Bhutan. I told him I've come all the way to meet the king of Bhutan. And the government minder said, no, no, no. It's not allowed for a commoner, for a foreigner to meet uh, the king of Bhutan. So while we were walking around the palace grounds, there was suddenly a great commotion. People were running everywhere. I didn't know what was going on. And the next thing we were told, you must look down, you must look down. And I was like, why? And they said, the king is walking. The king is in the palace grounds and he's walking. You need to look down because you weren't even allowed to look at the king. So being the uh, obedient... Uh, foreigner and tourist that I am, that's a photo opportunity if ever there was. So I managed to capture, this is a photo of the King of Bhutan walking past. When I got in the car on our way back from the palace, the government minder and the driver were like, we can't believe that not only had they seen the King of Bhutan, but, but what luck that I had seen the King of Bhutan. And I started laughing and I said, well, you know, you may call that luck, but that was a divine appointment. I said, God sent me here to pray for the king of Bhutan and to pray for the nation of Bhutan. But you know, that, that's quite an amazing story, but it's not my first rubbing shoulders with royalty, I have to say. When I was six years old in 1970, so now you can work out, okay, she was six in 1971. I was six years old. Queen Elizabeth was coming to Cairns in far north Queensland. And my mum took me and my, my brothers to, well, I only had one brother at that point, to, to head to Cairns to see the Queen of England walk past. And because I was only small, I was right at the front of the barricade as Queen Elizabeth walked past. And I could have stretched out my hand and touched the Queen. And I remember starting grade one, and I had such a love for the Queen because I'd seen the Queen. And every morning back in those days, we had to put our, our hands on our heart and every morning, God save our gracious queen, long live our noble queen, God save the queen, da -na -na -na, send her victorious, happy and glorious, long to reign over us. God save the queen. Okay, how many of you were old enough to remember singing that at primary school? Come on, oh, a few of you, well done, well done. I won't be doing that tonight at the six o'clock service. Everyone will just look at me and go, what the heck was that? <laughs> but you know, that's the whole thing. We, we know that for a king or a queen to rule and reign over us, just as Queen Elizabeth 
who longed to rule and reign over us 70 years later, she's still hanging in. She's still ruling and reigning. But we know that many nations today, just like the Queen of England, they're not what we call absolute monarchs, absolute kings and queens. They're constitutional kings and queens, meaning they operate relatively as figures of state, as heads of state in accordance with the constitution. But there are still nations that have absolute kings and queens. As a matter of fact, in biblical days, there were four geographic kingdoms with kings ruling over them. In biblical days, it was the the Babylonian kingdom, the Persian kingdom, the Greek kingdom, and the Roman kingdom. And they were ruled and reigned by Tiberius Augustus and Nero and emperors and and kings as absolute monarchs. But what we need to understand is when prior to Jesus coming on the scene, we had John the Baptist, the forerunner to Jesus. John the Baptist, the prophet who, you know, lived in the desert and ate locusts and wore camel skin clothing. And John the Baptist went to the crowds of people and said, repent, turn away, turn back, change allegiance because repent, the kingdom of God is coming. And what we need to understand is that when John the Baptist was proclaiming, turn back, change your allegiance because the kingdom of God is coming, people actually believed that what they were saying is a new king was coming. And instead of Tiberius Caesar Augustus, who was a ruling, reigning king at that time, instead of him being king over the Roman Empire, what they understood John the Baptist was saying is that a new king and kingdom was taking over. In other words, by default, what John the Baptist proclaimed was that Tiberius was now pushed aside for this new king, that his kingdom would take over the Roman Empire. Because the Israelites, the people of that day, believed what the scriptures had foretold them time and time again, that one day Yahweh, God, would send a king and establish his kingdom here on this earth. And so they interpreted that, that an absolute monarch, an absolute king would rule and reign. So when John the Baptist turned up on the scene and was baptized, sorry, when Jesus turned up on the scene and was baptized by John the Baptist, and he rose from the waters and a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, People took attention, people took notice. And when Jesus walked around and started proclaiming not only that the kingdom of God was coming, Jesus said the kingdom of God is here. It's in our very midst. In Luke chapter 17, Jesus, on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God 
is in your midst. Jesus, following after John the Baptist, said, the kingdom of God is here. And Jesus began his ministry in Nazareth. On the Sabbath, he went into the synagogue and he was given the scroll and he found the place in the scroll, which today we call Isaiah chapter 61. And it's outlined in the New Testament in Luke chapter four. Jesus read, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then Jesus rolled up the scroll. He returned to the attendant and he sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began by saying, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So the crowds of people that were listening, they understood by that act that Jesus was saying he himself was the king that had come. And that's why on Palm Sunday, the crowds were laying down palm branches and shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is the King of Israel. We're told in John chapter 12, the next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. That term, Hosanna, Tim already talked about it. It means save us, save now. But it's also a term that is used of celebration. They were expecting a king to come. They knew it was Jesus. And so they were worshiping and laying down palm branches, celebrating. But this same crowd who were expecting a king, who were, ex who were expecting the kingdom of God to come through Jesus, were one week later, the same crowd that turned their back on him and screamed, crucify him. Jesus simply was not the kind of king bringing a kingdom that they were expecting. You know, expectations are powerful things. I don't know about you, but if I was thinking of a king who was coming to rule and reign and overthrow the Roman Empire, I would want this charismatic, powerful, able to leap tall buildings in a single bound sort of king. And an interesting side point when I was preparing for this sermon and, and just looking at Bhutan, the nation of Bhutan, I came across this picture that an artist depicted of the king of Bhutan's uh, response to zero COVID cases in Bhutan. And it's interesting because it's all the superheroes bowing down to him, to his might, to his power, to his strength. That's the type of leader and king and ruler and kingdom the people were expecting. They were expecting the Superman version. Instead, 
It was kind of like the Clark Kent version that nobody expected or believed in. Jesus came in a way that didn't match any of the criteria. Not born in a palace, born in a stable. Not coming from an influential family, you know, a family name that's well known. The closest I could come to was like Gina Reinhardt's family. Oh, I'm a Reinhardt. Wow, you're impressive. Not coming from an impressive family. As a matter of fact, coming from a poor carpenter and a mother who was a virgin, who became pregnant. His reputation from the very get-go, not believed in, not coming from a significant location or city or suburb. You know, be instead of saying, I come from Melbourne or whatever's trendy at the time, Sydney, Potts Point, saying, oh, I come from Ipswich or Logan. Sorry if any of you are from Ipswich or Logan. He didn't come with with charismatic force and personality and good looks that, you know, people would go, wow, he's really got something. We know that he was not found in appearance to be of anything attractive like what television shows you with the piercing blue eyes. He took not by force but by serving. He took the lowest place. He, we're told in Philippians 2, he didn't count equality with God, his power and prestige, something to be grasped and something to be flaunted to the crowds. Follow me, look at me, I'm, I'm the son of God, I've really got my act together. No, it says that he humbled himself. He took the place of a suffering servant. Again, expectations are powerful things. And often, I don't know about you, but I know for me, I don't even know if I've got them till I'm disappointed. Till, till, it's like I went to a restaurant a few nights ago. I'd been looking forward to it at Wellington Point. It had good reviews. And I was like, oh, I'm really expecting this restaurant to really deliver some yummy food. I was so disappointed. So disappointed. And, you know, it's not, it's not till you're there that you go, wow, this so doesn't match my expectations. And so when Jesus came and started proclaiming, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing, people understood this message that is referred to the gospel, the good news, or in Greek, it's called the euangelion. This message that Jesus brought, the gospel, it had a a certain meaning to the listeners of that day. In ancient Greek literature, there's a story uh, of two kings. This is a story from in those days to try and paint the picture of understanding. Of two kings, let's call them King A and King B. I'm sure they had very Greek names in those days. But King A and King B. And in this story, these two kings go to war. And we know that in biblical history, time and time again, you hear about the time of the year when the kings would go to war to fight to extend their territory. And in ancient Greek literature, this story tells of how, let's pretend King A, his armies defeat King B's armies. So they break down the walls of the city, they kill people, they set buildings on fire. 
And they send in a herald, a messenger into the town square. But this is only after the soldiers of King A capture King B and all the officials and all the leaders of the country and decapitate them and put their heads on a stake. Not, not beef, but a stake in the ground and their decapitated heads as a warning. And the herald would go into the town squares because in those days people didn't have television and Google and many people couldn't even read. And the herald, the messenger, would go into the town square, he would unroll a scroll, and he would start to proclaim something along these lines, hear ye, hear ye, citizens of kingdom B, your army has been defeated, your king has been decapitated. From this day forth, henceforth, you shall give 20% of your crops and your income to the King A's uh, kingdom. From this day forth, your children shall learn the language of Kingdom A. No longer shall Kingdom B be spoken in our schools. From this day, and he would read all the terms and conditions. And if you do not follow these terms and conditions, you will be trialed and you will be Considered with the crime of treason, and you shall be killed. Now, that message that that herald, that messenger read in the town squares was called the gospel. It was called the good news. Now, you may be sitting there going, yeah, well, it kind of sucks. It's not really good news for the people of Kingdom B. But from the victor's perspective, it is. And that message, that gospel, that good news, that euangelion was a message that a new king had come. A new king was now in authority and it was now his kingdom. And that is what the people understood when, when Paul and Mark in Romans 1.1, Paul writes, we read these passages and we just kind of skim over them. But Paul writes, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel, meaning a herald of the gospel, of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through the prophets in the holy scriptures regarding his son. And in Mark 1.1, Mark writes, the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. The beginning of the gospel, the beginning of the kingdom about who? Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of God. And so when Jesus came after John the Baptist and proclaimed the gospel, proclaimed the message, he was not only the herald of the message, he was the very message itself. Jesus was proclaiming a message that people were just not expecting because it was a back-to-front message. Instead of decapitated heads on stakes and, you know, punishments and all these things, the, the, the conditions we were to live under in this new kingdom were back to front. 
if you want to be great in this kingdom, the terms and conditions are you take the lowest place. If you want to be somebody in this kingdom, serve other people. Jesus was everything inside out, upside down. You don't rule with an iron fist and and dictate authority and power and just press over people. And so Jesus illustrates it the week before his crucifixion in John chapter 13. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. If anyone knew their identity, it was Jesus. So what did he do? He got up after the meal, took off his outer clothing. He wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Jesus didn't only teach the way we were to live in God's kingdom as citizens of the new kingdom. Jesus modeled how that was to look. You know, we live in an age where the world wants to tell you it's all about get to the top. If you're down here in an organization, you claw your way to the top. You somehow, when you're the top, When I'm senior pastor of Gateway Baptist, then I'll, you know, Tim Lucas do this, Kate Peterson do that, Jason Ellsmore, uh, Dom, it's all right, I don't care. When I'm the king of the castle, na, 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 na. Like the world wants to tell you, get to the top at all costs. Whatever you do, don't be a pushover. Don't be the ones at the bottom. Like somehow serving others. But Jesus was exactly opposite. You know, he washed people's feet. Washing someone's feet. I don't know if you're like me. I just kind of get irked with feet. I'm flat out coping with my own. Never mind other people's feet and fungus nails and dirty, smelly feet. I lived in India. And in India, there's a caste system in Hinduism. The top of the caste are the Brahmins. The bottom of the caste are the untouchables, the Dalits, the nobodies. They're the ones who do all the jobs that nobody else will do that's beneath them. They're things like cleaning toilets, picking up trash, sorting through the rubbish. The jobs that are really quite disgusting. In biblical times, washing someone's feet was the equivalent of being an untouchable, a dullet. That's why only servants and slaves washed the feet of the visitors that were coming. And yet Jesus modeled what we were to do in his kingdom. 
I'm thankful in my life, I've had leaders, I've had those above me who didn't only rule and reign through words and tell me do this and do that, who actually modelled what that looked like. I'll never forget in the south of India, I was at a, a, a base a training facility and uh, there was a septic system. We had a cleaning day, a base cleaning day, a church working bee. And uh, a septic system, as you know, was full of waste. And uh, in India, the pipes are very, very small on septic systems. And the septic system was blocked. One of the pipes was blocked. And so the base leader, the, the, the one who was leading the ministry, he got into this septic system up to his waist in human excrement and was cleaning out this pipe. It's not like you just call a plumber, yeah? And even if you did, it would be a low-caste dullet and untouchable because that's really pretty gross. And Aldrin just got in there, pulled out all this stuff, and, and I was just standing there watching. He was modelling the way... You and I were meant to live. Now, I don't know about you, but I take those um, spiritual gift surveys, you know, you take these questionnaires and then it says, oh, your gifts, administration, leadership, teaching, whatever it is. And always at the lowest of mine is serving, serving and giving. How's that for a pastor? The worst thing, serving and giving. You know, if you are like me, I'm sure you struggle with serving and with giving. But we see again Jesus in John chapter 13. We're told when he finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you, he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your teacher and your Lord, have washed your feet, you should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. I think sometimes when it comes to blessing, you will be blessed if you do them. We kind of get transactional with God. Well, okay, I can, I can serve this person or I can do this job that nobody else sees, but really inside, I hope, God, you see what a good girl I am, serving people secretly. Why? Because it's almost like a prosperity gospel. If I serve, then I'll get blessed. But that's not the point of when Jesus says you should do likewise. It wasn't about being blessed. If ever there was a king who had a right to be served, it was King Jesus. 
And he calls us to follow the example he set. So the challenge is, what stops me? What stops you? What stops us from serving? From taking the lowest place? And I don't know about you, but I think for me, for oftentimes it's pride. Well, they don't, they don't see, they don't see my ability. If they did, then they'd ask me to be the leader or, or they don't see my capability. Like, like somehow if I take the place of a servant, I'm overlooked. Is it pride that stops you? Maybe it's laziness. Oh, it's too much work to serve. I'd just rather not do the work. Fear. Fear of being trampled on, being used as a doormat for everybody else, just being taken advantage of. What stops you from serving? This morning as we finish up, I believe the Lord wants to challenge us afresh as King Jesus We're told that we should be of the same attitude. Is there someone today, practically, let's make this really practical. Is there someone today that we could serve? Is there something I could do today, an action that would bless someone else just because that's what we're asked to do, to serve and to bless? just want you to take a moment, just in quietness, just between you and the Lord, to say, Father, just speak to me about my heart to serve. And is there a person I could serve today? Is there an action I could do today? Just take a moment to ask God. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I have set you an example. As we finish this time this morning, if there was anyone who had the right to be king on Palm Sunday, who has the right to be king It's King Jesus. King Jesus, who is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. King Jesus, who who came to this earth as a fulfillment of the Scriptures. King Jesus, who left heaven itself and we're told limited himself, emptied himself to take the very form of a human being. King Jesus, who did that to model how you and I were to live. King Jesus, who willingly went to the cross. King Jesus, who laid down his life on the cross and he took that which separated us from the Father. And
and he nailed it to the cross victorious. King Jesus, who on the third day, he rose again from death. He rose victorious. King Jesus, who is now seated on his throne over all that is seen and unseen. King Jesus, who sent his spirit to empower us to live according to his calling. King Jesus, who is the name above all names, who is King of kings, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven on earth and confess glory to King Jesus our God. Let's applaud him this morning. today is through him. Let's lift him up.
hope you've been blessed by this message. If we can pray for you or you would like to take a further step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to get connected with you. Please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au and click on Get Connected to let us know.